in this series that is entitled Set Free From Me, which I believe will be the best series that I've ever taught in terms of being able to help you where you live, I'm not going to be able to, to, to cover the problems with the solutions as I had thought I would. This is the second time I will deal with this subject in this new series that will carry us for a time. But Set Free From Me is based on Romans seven fifteen through 20. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, what in the world did you just do? And more importantly, why did you just do it? Every one of us have, including Paul. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I want you to use with me and just say that word, the personal pronoun M-E. Would you say it, me? This is the great apostle Paul, who is not the least wit behind any apostle, who has had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, who spent three years in the Arabian desert in the city of Petra being personally schooled by God in the three-year ministry events of Jesus Christ. He is not behind in revelation in terms terms of revelation is actually ahead of the others we read in one place due to the abundance of the revelations given me there was given to me this thorn in the flesh this great apostle paul says with his abundance of revelation his communication and relationship with god that in me there dwells no good thing in john 8:31 through 32 then jesus said to those jews who believed him If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Father, I do pray today that your word would illuminate our path. That is where we're standing right now. Be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Help us see things we don't see because that's what the lamp does in the darkness. It causes things obscure and hidden to be revealed. And Lord, we're asking that in the very real sense of reveal to us things that might be within us that we don't even know are there. And then by your grace, help correct them. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Shout it out loud, in Jesus' name. I need to stop a moment and tell you that there are a number of different preaching styles. One style of ministry is to preach inspirational messages where I excite you to the place that I give you enough enthusiasm and encouragement to be able to enter the next week. The problem is is that ordinarily that doesn't last very long. 
It usually lasts throughout Sunday afternoon and maybe all the way through Monday, but by Tuesday morning, when the rubber's hitting the road, you look at the tank and the needle is not where it was when you left church on Sunday. It's not. The other type of ministry is to be able to give people things that will equip them to move through the life that they're going to live that week, making value decisions based upon the teachings and principles of Scripture. Because it's not inspiration that sets you free, it's the truth you know that sets you free. I need an amen right there. Hopefully in the course of most preaching that we try to do a, both of that. I've taught for years a little five-point plan those, to those that I mentor in ministry. I send my notes out week by week, and if you don't get them, you can from the app or the podcast and either one, and, and you can get on the mailing list if you're not. And I tell those I mentor in ministry, look at the notes with these five points in mind. Build a bridge, build a fire, make life application points, call for commitment, and close with a move of God. Every single sermon I, or lesson that I teach, I try to teach with those five foundational things in mind. I want to not only build a bridge to relate to the congregation because so many preachers preach right over the head of their people. Never make a connection. I want to build a fire, and that is share my passion with you. I want to make life application points because I've known people that I literally heard somebody say about someone's preaching one time, man, that was some sermon. And I said, oh, really? And they said, yeah, I don't know what he was saying, but man, it sure sounded good. And I thought, yeah, Tuesday morning, you're going to remember that. And when the rubber meets the road. And so you need to also call for commitment because if there's not a place where you call upon people when the Holy Spirit is moving to ask them to take a step forward, all the preaching in the world is not going to do anybody any good. And there must always be room for God to move and touch people's lives. Oh, I, I value that. And that, again, is another reason for Holy Spirit encounters. Amen. Paul is talking in this series about something that I think is so important that I'm going to dial back on the inspirational part of this to talk more about the applicational part of what I have to say. That is, that rather than just inspire you and let you leave, I want to give you something concrete to work with. I'm talking in this series about the very real phenomenon where we often do things that torpedo and circumvent and destroy our own happiness and success because of things within us, often things that we don't even know are there that cause us to make decisions and act in a way that works against what we're trying to achieve, we end up ruining our own prospects. Romans 7 and 32, Paul says, O wretched man that I am. Remember, I've already qualified who he is. It's the apostle Paul, abundant in revelation. I speak with tongues more than you all. That Paul, you right, you got it? The one that knows Jesus Christ, the apostle born out of due season. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
And Paul is referring to the ancient Roman culture or custom of strapping a dead body on the back of a condemned man, arms to arms, legs to legs, and tying them tightly, stomach to back, and releasing that condemned prisoner into the wilderness with this dead man on his back. And the body would begin to putrefy and decay. And that dead man on his back, as it rotted, the corruption would enter the the body of the living man and he would die one of the most painful and hideous of death because of the dead man he carried on his back. Now this is Paul after his conversion that says, I've got a dead man on my back. Now if it's Paul, abundant in revelation, speaking in tongues more than you all, Paul, who says, I've got a dead man on my back, trust me when I tell you, every one of us do too. Amen. And what actually happens is we carry things with us that can ruin our lives. And we don't realize that oftentimes the problem is us. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord standing in the need of prayer. We destroy our own lives with decisions we make and impulsive things we do. And we, we blame all the while we're doing it. All kinds of things for holding us back are causing us to experience a setback. We blame the devil. We blame the world. We blame our parents. We blame a spouse who didn't treat us fairly. A boss, the economy, the governments, racism, sexism, and any number of things. And all of these things might actually help make your situation more difficult and complicate matters for you. But at the end of the day, it is not biblical for you to blame where you are on all of these other factors. And I can prove to you that they don't have to hold you back just by simply pointing to those who are walking through what you've walked through, but it did not stop them. And if it didn't stop them, why are you going to let it stop you? Amen. You can blame the government. You can blame Hillary and Donald. You can blame everybody in between the economy and everything else. But look. Oftentimes, our greatest enemy is what is programmed into us and the course of our lives that does not get changed at our conversion. It's the words you receive after your conversion that changes all of that in you. You don't get enough word, that stuff remains. Well, somebody in the building that's hearing me knows I'm talking to them right now. You see, you can have things within you and you be good and yet you're imperfect. And one of the things I've tried to rectify in my years as pastor here is teach a gospel that is accurate. That is, you get saved and sanctified, but by no means did it mean that you got rid of the programming on your back that's still trying to corrupt your life. I agree with the bumper sticker. I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven, that's all. And what the spirit inside of me does, coupled with the word, sets about to reorganize and reprogram my thinking with the principles of the scripture if I get them often enough to help me stop being self-destructive. Amen. And there are plenty of people out there who don't even try to do good at all. They don't even try. We live in a day and age when people celebrate wrongdoing, celebrate evil. The Bible said, call evil good. They're doing that right now. 
and call good evil. They're doing that too. Amen. And it reminds me, this is a joke, okay? Of two brothers that were evil and wicked. They were rich and used their money to keep their evil ways from the public eye. They even attended the same church and appeared to be perfect Christians. Then their pastor retired. Their pastor, old pastor, was not very insightful, and they pretty much pulled the wool over his eyes, and a new pastor was hired. Not only could the new pastor see right through these brothers and their deception, but he also spoke the truth without compromise and couldn't be bought. And the church membership began to grow in numbers and a fundraising campaign was started to build a new building. And all of a sudden, one of the brothers died. And the remaining brother sought out the new pastor the day before the funeral and handed him a check. And that check was for the amount needed to finish paying for that new building. And if I'm talking to you and you happen to have such a check in the building, I will wait for you after the service. Okay. Amen. And the the brother that remained alive told the new pastor, I have only one condition. He said, at the funeral, you must say that my brother was a saint. And the pastor gave his word and deposited the check and paid off the building. And the next day at the funeral, the pastor, true to his convictions to always preach the truth, did not hold back. He said, this was an evil and a wicked man. This was a man that masked his hypocrisy. And you couldn't see the real heart that he had, which was evil and was not good. He cheated on his wife, abused his family, hurt everyone he worked with, stole and schemed and and deceived people. And after going on like this for his whole sermon, the pastor finally concluded, but compared to his brother right over there, this man's a saint. Build a bridge. That's what I was doing. To illustrate what I'm talking about and how things on the inside keep holding us back, Jerry and I, uh, she had a relative in Louisiana. It was one of her aunts. And when that aunt was younger and they were raised Catholic, this aunt made some decisions that were very poor life choices. And she had been taught to observe the Catholic faith, and she knew that uh, she had violated her faith, and she was, was feeling bad on the inside about it. She seemed to feel, based upon the choices we watched her make, that she didn't deserve to be happy, and that what she really deserved was to be punished for the evil or the wrong she had done in her younger years. She got married, but she didn't marry a good man that would love her and treat her well. She married somebody that was alcoholic, And unfortunately, she chose a man that saw to it that she was punished every day for her earlier mistakes and who made her life miserable. He abused her physically and emotionally, and finally she had enough. She divorced him. And you and I would think at that point that she would have learned her lesson, but she didn't because that didn't help her get out of this feeling bad on the inside. Instead, she felt worse because she had violated the Catholic tenet that you're not supposed to get a divorce. She ended up marrying again. That added to the guilt. And so what it made her 
Theo was like, I'm really bad now. And she married somebody else. And he was a drunk and he abused her and made life miserable. She divorced him. She remarried again. Only this time she married somebody even worse than the others. And she went through seven different men. And the only difference in them was you could take a scissors and cut the photo, the headshot from the wedding off and paste the new guy in. He treated her exactly the same way the previous six had. And she never did figure out that she was doing this to herself. My point is, she thought all this time, they're not treating me right. It's my bad luck. They deceive me. No, the person that was to blame for making these choices was the programming, the dead woman on her back. Amen. Now, do you see what I mean when I tell you that you can make decisions that cause you to self-destruct? I see people that do that in their marriages. I see them do it in business. I see it doing them do that. I mean, somebody drop out of college because they somebody offers them a job at McDonald's, or just about that silly, amen. And and this is not right. Why do we make decisions? I'm thinking of another young lady that used to attend church here from Mississippi, and she moved back to Mississippi so I can say this without embarrassing her but she was brilliant and do you know they offered her a full ride scholarship full ride for a medical degree and she entered university and do you know the doctors that were sponsoring her got together and said this girl is so intelligent we're not only going to make her an MD we're going to send her to the extra years, through the extra years, full ride again to become a specialist. And she came to me and said, Pastor, I don't know if I should accept this or not. And I said, what? She said, I I just don't know. I'm going to be going to school and off. And she laid out her reasons. And do you know she turned it down and became a nurse and is working as a nurse in the state of Mississippi when her name could have been known by everybody in her town as the specialist. What would make somebody do something like that? Somewhere there's been programming that is not right. Hello. There are eight things that go on within us that cause us to keep destroying our own success and failure, our happiness and bring about failure. These are the eight weapons of self-destruction used by the world and the devil to con us into making the mistakes that cause us to sabotage our own lives. Every single person in this building is wrestling with at least one of these. The first is shame. What is shame? Shame is different from guilt or remorse. Guilt and remorse are feelings of regret about something you have done. Every person makes mistakes. You see that bumper sticker or in the back of a window or a t-shirt or a cap that they wear says no regrets. You ever meet anybody like that, go the other direction. Amen. Because that is sociopathic behavior. You're supposed to feel regret over mistakes you make in the course of your life. The good news is the blood of Jesus is available to forgive us of the mistakes we make in our life. 
Shame is different. It is not it is not guilt or remorse. Shame is not what you've done. It's who you are. You ever have that icky feeling on the inside like you don't fit in? You're uncomfortable. People see right through you. You're self-conscious. Do you ever feel shame and embarrassment about your identity as though you ever feel like you're only partly clothed? You ever dream dreams? where you're walking around without all your clothes on in a crowd of people, that's, that's oftentimes indicative of a deeply rooted feeling of shame. I'm not gonna, I don't mean to be risque, but even the language we embrace describes that. People say, I was embarrassed, embarrassed. Do you know what that means? Barrest, bare certain part of your anatomy. That's literally what it means. I don't mean to be risque. Amen. So you're walking around and, you, and you're... You know, trying to cover and everything's hanging out for the world to see your imperfections. You know what I mean? Psychologists believe that shame is behind all dysfunction in families. And further, they state that shame is the cause of all abnormal behavior. You don't deal with the shame inside of you. It will make you do things that you will later regret. You know why? You live up to your low image of yourself. Amen. And often this was put in us and programmed into us by authority figures. It can be pastors. It can be school teachers. It can be mom, dad, neighbors. It could be the varsity high school football team that you wanted to hang around with, but they didn't have time for you because they are the varsity and who are you? And all of those feelings of not measuring up that exist in your life get submerged here to later hold you back. And then when you get saved, that steel can be hanging on on the inside of you. The second weapon the enemy uses is self-destructive thoughts. Most people don't realize it, but their own thoughts can actually work against them. Proverbs 23, 7, I didn't put it on the screen because you know it, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. It doesn't just mean that, that what you think in your heart is the way things are right now. If it's not that way right now, but you think it, it will become that way. As you think in your heart, so are you. I've given you the cycle of how thoughts run and ruin your life. Thoughts determine your emotions. You think sad thoughts, you will feel sad. Think happy thoughts, you will think happy. Amen. Or feel happy. And that determines your emotions. Thoughts determine your emotions. Your emotions determine your attitudes. What is an attitude? A habit of thought. An attitude is really your emotional default setting when it becomes a habit. And then your attitudes determine your self-talk and speech. Your self-talk and speech in turn influence your behavior or your actions. Your behavior becomes your habits. And I'm going to show you a video here in a moment that's going to show you that. And then your habits determine your lifestyle and your lifestyle determines your character and your character determines your destiny. I think of Haman. Haman was the agite and Haman was the best friend 
of King Ahasuerus. He should have been so happy with his status in life and fulfilled that he got up every day and said, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. But there was one guy named Mordecai that was a Jew that refused to bow down when Haman walked by. And do you know that got under Haman's skin and he hated all the Jews and began to conspire to destroy them completely from the face of the earth. And then the king couldn't sleep one night and he got the book of the record of the kingdom out and he was reading and he read that a guy named Mordecai had foiled an assassination plot to take his life. And so he he called Haman in. He said, hey, come on in here, Haman. He said, um, he said, um, what do you think ought to be done to honor the man that the king delights in? And Haman is thinking, boy, he doesn't delight in anybody like he does me. I'm his best friend. So he, he went for it, man. He said, I think you ought to put your robe on him. I think you ought to give him your horse to ride. And he ought to be led through the streets of the city saying, this is the man the king delights in. Because the king realized Mordecai had never been honored for saving his life. And you know what the king said? Well, that's great. Go do that for Mordecai. I agree with everything you said. And he had to go take his mortal enemy that he hated and put the king's robe on him, put him on the king's horse and lead him through the city saying, this is what the king does to the man he delights in. You see, when you've got something going on on the inside, you engineer your own self-destruction. I need somebody in the building to say amen. And you know what happened after that? King Haman went home. He called all his friends together. He even got an invitation to attend a banquet for King Esther. And he said, you know, I'm the only man that was invited there. And then he said, but you know, all of this avails me nothing. I'm the king's best friend. We're buddies. But as long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting in the king's gate. And do you know there are people in this room that you got 199 good things going on in your life. But you got one thing that's out of balance. And all of the 199 doesn't matter to you at all because the one thing's out of balance. Come on, help me out here. Amen. Self-destructive. And you engineer your own destruction like Haman did. Compulsions. These are the inner drives, the inner desires, the lust. It's what your flesh wants to do. It's the things you do even when you know that you shouldn't do it, but you can't stop yourself. You understand? How many times have I counseled with people that looked me in the face and with tears streaming down their face, they said, I just couldn't help myself. I couldn't stop myself. Compulsive behavior. It just comes. You're driven by things on the inside. It's like Eve knowing she shouldn't eat the fruit of that tree, but doing it anyway. And many of us are controlled by compulsions. And we do things driven by desires that if we were to detach ourselves emotionally, and this is what I always tell people, first thing you do when you get in a difficult situation, take the emotion out of it and set that over here. Then back up over here and now look at what's left and make an intelligent decision because if you make an emotional one, it's going to be wrong. Amen. Oh, somebody help me out right now. 
A moment of weakness can lead to a lifetime of regrets. The fourth weapon of destruction, and I'll deal with the cures for these the next time. Many, the fourth weapon is fear. Many people live in fear. John 4, 18, fear has torment. They fear the future. They live in fear of failing, fear of poor health, fear of a relationship falling apart, fear of not having enough money to make it when you get older, fear that Hillary or Trump is going to win. Amen. Fear of losing a job, fear of rejection, and one of them will, but I got news for you. There's a God that I'm looking to for solutions and not the hand of man. Fear of many things. And when you live in fear, you're tormented. You don't have any peace. Your decisions are made on the basis of fight or flight syndrome. When you're afraid, you will do one of two things. You will either run or you're going to fight. And I see people that are fighting battles in their life they don't have to fight. That aren't even worth wasting their time with. Not everything is a war. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? Uh, we're Jerry and I at a good place in our life. We finally figured out we don't fight over everything. We're, going, we're saving our fights for the, for the stuff that matters. And do you know that after 49 years, we figured out there's not really anything we're fighting for that really matters that much. And, and just go ahead and have peace. Amen. And it's a happy place to be. Either that, if they don't fight because of fear, people run. And so they run from a job because they're afraid they might not get the promotion they need, or they're afraid they're going to get a pink slip. They run from all kind of stuff. And you know what happens? They move to California. And when they get there, guess what? They are in California. Meaning that no matter where you are, there you are. And if you run from you, guess what's going to happen when you get to where you're going to? You're going to be waiting there for you. You can't run from yourself. Amen. The fifth weapon the devil uses is despair. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. I've never lived in a day when there's been so much despair. A despair is a state in which all hope is lost or absent. The feeling that everything is wrong and nothing will turn out well. And when you feel Hopeless, it makes you want to give up. If you feel that your job is hopeless, it'll make you want to quit. If you feel like your marriage is hopeless, it makes you want to divorce. Look at all of these things with our veterans coming back and unable to get medical treatment. And how many of them? 20 of them a day, 22 of them a day committing suicide. That's hopelessness. It's despair. I, we, I've done the funeral for people that have committed suicide because they didn't have any hope. The seventh weapon is pride. And do you know of all of those mentioned in the Bible, that is the one that is probably mentioned the most? Arrogance is an ugly thing. And you say, well, how can that possibly stack up and be as serious as some of those you've already addressed? Whether it's in business or ministry or in relationships, pride and arrogance will cause you to fall when it wasn't necessary for you to fall. God hates pride. It's one of the seven deadly sins. Did you know that? You might say, well, what's so wrong about pride? Because when you have pride, nobody can talk to you anymore. And, and you won't listen to anybody any longer. And you don't value other people around you the way that you're supposed to. 
And let me tell you something. God loves people more than he loves anything else on the face of this planet. So when you stop valuing his highest creation, you find yourself in trouble with God. But a proud person that is proud will not only fail to honor other people, they won't listen to the insights and perspectives of other people either. And therefore, whatever these other problems are that I've already mentioned, the resentment, the despair, all of these other things, you know what happens? The self-destructive thoughts. Somebody tries to point it out to them. And, no, 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 I'm going to listen to that. No, uh-uh, you, uh-uh. I'm all that and a bag of chips on top of it. So that the, the, when they could be helped, they can't. Proverbs 26, 12, and I'm closing. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope of a fool than for him. Proverbs eleven twelve. pride leads to disgrace. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes to de- before destruction. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low. And the final is low self-esteem. This is a weapon that is, I struggled with most of my, my life until I discovered Philippians 4 and 8 and changed the way that I thought. I want to show you a young man. I want you to listen to him sing. This is from Britain's Got Talent. And I want you to just watch and tell me what you think about this guy. His name Jermaine. John Mayne Douglas. John Mayne, that's cool. Then where are you from? Um, Swindon. And where do you work, John Mayne? I work in Asda Walmart. Have you ever done anything like this before? Have you done auditions before? Not like this, no. Okay. Okay, take it away. ask you a question. What would you think about his singing? 
the judge on the far right side said that he thought this kid was going to win the whole competition. This is Jermaine Douglas, as I mentioned, from the UK, works at Walmart. And this kid rocked the place. But several things I want to point out. And I want to show you how low self-esteem can destroy your life. Did you notice he never once opened his eyes the whole time? You didn't notice that, did you? He never once opened his eyes. He was scared to death. He was petrified. The king, the kid evermore could sink. And they told him that you're probably going to end up winning the competition because they hadn't heard anybody like him. But the ne very next performance, he selected a song that wasn't the best for his vocal range. And the same guy that was sitting on the right-hand side that was so full of compliments and said, you're probably going to take it, offered a little criticism and said, that wasn't the best song for you. You need to be more careful. And the kid fell apart, became physically ill, and in subsequent performances went down until this talent, which should have won him a competition, was ignored because you know what he was leading with? His weakness, his low self-esteem. You say, well, what would make him do that? Maybe this is what made it happen because his life had been a hell. Why did he choke? His father was a thug who beat Jermaine's mother, even abused this kid so badly that one time Jermaine's fingernail pulled it off in the quick and it bled. And his dad said, you bleeding? Let me show you bleeding. And got a knife and stuck it under the kid's fingernail. The man was sentenced to prison for rape and abduction. His father drove Jermaine's older brother to commit suicide. Now, here's my point. Jermaine is a born-again believer filled with the Holy Spirit. You know where he sings? In a citywide choir in London where they've taken the best voices, and he sings lead for them. We put him on a stage, and he screws his eyes shut and offer one little word of criticism designed to help him, and he comes unraveled and chokes and falls apart for the rest of the competition. I'm talking about somebody empowered with the power of God. But something on the inside makes him self-destruct. It wasn't a lack of talent, I can tell you that. I wish I could sing 25% that good. You hear what I'm saying. And what I want to do the next time I meet with you, I want to talk about things that you can do to fix this within us. Because you don't have to live like this the rest of your life. I began, I ended rather last week when I began the series, I ended by saying you are amazing. God created you to be unique. You are made in the image and likeness of almighty God. God has plans for your life. And if you'll listen to him, he'll fix whatever this is that is broken within you. Would you stand with me because I'm done? I want to open the altar and ask our prayer counselors to come. And I want to give us a moment to pray and think about this because I, my guess is there's not a person in this building that is not applying this in one form or fashion 
to who they are and the decisions that they have made in the course of their life. Is there anybody that's on the treadmill? I pulled up this video the other day and I started to play it, but I'm out of time. I didn't even give it to Robert. But these little, um, what are these little hamster? There you go, it's hamster. I couldn't remember if it's a hamster or gerbil or, or what it is. Guinea pig. Here's, my grandma had one of those things. And that little guy would get on that wheel and run and run and run so fast. That thing, get to, it'd flip him out. And he'd get back on and run and run and never was getting anywhere. Kept throwing him out. Are you tired of living your life that way? You don't have to. God wants you on a path that is not going in circles, but a path that leads to advancement and elevation and blessing. He wants you to live the extraordinarily blessed life.